Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mecchi Lozano. Today, Autumn Domain joins us back on the podcast, and we are diving into the really great and unique and beautiful topic of theological reflection and how using the method of theological reflection can aid in our ministry, in our work of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Throughout the podcast, you might hear some little baby coos in the background. I have a a new two-month-old that will be joining us probably for the next few podcasts to help us, you know, really explore who the child is. So I hope you enjoy her and her coos just as much as we do. Don't forget that if you have a question that you would like to submit, there's a link in our show notes um, where you can submit any question about our work in the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or maybe you're having an issue that, that you would like us to address on the podcast. We welcome those questions. So please check that out. I hope you enjoy. Autumn, welcome back to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. Thank you, Carrie. I'm excited to be here. I'm always excited to have you on. So you've been with me a couple times for the podcast, and we can put links in the show notes for those past episodes. But in case anybody hasn't yet heard them, tell us a little bit about who is Autumn. So let's see. I am a child of God. I am a mother and a grandmother. I am a spiritual director and a mental health coach, and I'm a catechist and have been for a long time, and I'm a formation leader at all three levels. And you're my dear friend. Oh, yes. (laughs) that really important point. Very important identity there. (laughs) And you also were my formation leader for level one. And level three. Yeah, that was my honor. So you, yeah, so you have a big, big influence on my work in this work as well. So mm, that makes me happy. You are so appreciated. Mm, awesome. So you also went through the MAPS course as well at Aquinas. I did. I graduated in 2012. Um, and our topic today is something that I learned while I was at Aquinas and then uh, kind of branched out with it. Well, I'm really excited because you've talked to me about theological reflection many times, but quite honestly, I don't really fully know what it is. Like it's a term that I feel like has been tossed around or there's many different understandings of what it is, but I don't fully understand what it is. So I'm excited for you to be able to explain this to me and how this connects to what we do in Catechesis of Good Shepherd. Like where does it have value there? So yeah, I'd love to. Okay, so tell us, what is it? What is theological reflection? All right. Well, before I dive into that, I'd like to just pose this question. Why is there an innate desire in each of us to make meaning out of what happens to us, out of what we experience? It's a big question. I wonder, like, what are you up to, God, with this? Like, why did you make us beings that have such curiosity and want to stitch together meaning. So this big question, um, I'm going to reference the uh, book, The Art of Theological Reflection by Patricia Killian and John DeBear. 
In that book, they say, as human beings, we reflect and ask why about our lives, because we're drawn to seek meaning. We need meaning as much as we are drawn to food and water. Our reflection is rooted in this human drive to understand, to make the truest and richest meaning possible of our lives. So that's just a little bit of setting the stage. What is theological reflection? Well, basically, it's any attempt to seek meaning using the wisdom of the Christian tradition. It's basically connecting God's story to our story. And there's kind of two ways I want to talk about it today. The first is kind of informal, like what is informal theological reflection? Because many in our audience already do that. And then what is a formal theological reflection process that can be done with groups of catechists, groups of ministers, anyone interested in dialoguing their experiences with the church tradition, our culture, and our own personal experiences. So looking at an experience through a certain lens. Yeah, that's a great, like, like um, putting the lens in the kaleidoscope that helps us see the experience in the light of what we know to be true in our faith. Hmm. And you said that people already are doing this informally? Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So informally, I bet many of you seek answers to the dilemmas in your life by looking through scripture, or pondering scripture. And then like for me personally, right now I'm studying Teresa of Avila and I'm reading the interior castle. And I find myself like reading about Teresa's prayer experiencing and then kind of connecting them and um, looking at my own experiences, that's a form of theological reflection. Um, many of you probably like have missed the mark in your life, <laughs> made some mistakes, and gone into a place of examining your conscience. Like All of those are rich things that come to us from our faith tradition. Um, and they help us know a path forward, they help us grow in uh, maturity as a spiritual being, um, or they give, or just basically give us insight. That's informal. Would you like to know about formal? Yes. <laughs> okay. So at Aquinas, um, I learned a method of theological reflection that we're going to teach today in this podcast. Um, basically, it's way, a way for a group of catechists to come together and walk through a particular process. So let's say one in the group, um, a catechist in the group has a difficult experience with a child in the atrium. They would go home and write up the experience free of any judgment or interpretation, just as like a newspaper writer would write a story. They bring that to the group, read the story, and then the group brings their wisdom to bear on this experience. They don't tell anybody what to do. They just lift up, okay, what about this experience? What in our tradition can we think about? Is there something from scripture? Is there something from the lives of the saints? Is there something in church documents can help us interpret this? 
And then they're going to look at culture. Culture is a powerful driving force behind many of our experiences. And so everyone in the group gets a turn to talk about that. You know, what is culture saying here? And then the third thing that happens is a look at all of the group's experiences that can bear fruit or bring insight into what's happening. Yeah, I think that's that's a real small synopsis of what we're going to show the audience or we're going to do in a little bit. So with what you were just telling us, what are all the different things that we could potentially use theological reflection on? Actually, anything, any experience that we are struggling to understand, um, any experience that's um, uncomfortable or difficult to manage. Um, you know, I, I lifted up a difficult child in the atrium, but I wonder how many of our audience have ever felt insecure as a new catechist. Yeah, or, yeah for sure. How about um, struggling to collaborate in a really positive way with parish staff? Um, another one might be... Um, a parent that misunderstands what CJS is all about. Like mm -hmm. all of those are very common experiences that catechists bring. And I think any of them or all of them are important for, to do more pondering or theological reflection on. I feel like anything that has a lot of energy around it. <laughs> That's a great word. Like yeah. anything that has, like brings up a lot of, Emotion, emotion, maybe, yeah. an experience, an encounter that brings up emotions. Yes. Um, this process might help us to see it in a new light. I, I think I'd add, Carrie, emotions or confusion. Um, you know, confusion is like, what just happened to me? Or mm. what's going on here that I don't understand uh -huh. or that I can't get a grip on? And then, so it's really for two reasons. One is insight, and the other is, what do I do next with this? Um, sometimes, you know, that's the most urgent thing in the room with the group, like with the individual that's struggling. Are there certain things that make it difficult for us to do this type of reflection? Yeah, I think certitude is the biggest enemy of theological reflection. Um, if a catechist is certain mm. about what happened or too self-assured about what to do next, I think that can be a real hindrance. Um, any kind of pre-mature um, interpretation of what took place. Like if they've already laid out judgment and decided what happened, um, that's not going to bear much fruit. But if if the individual bringing the experience and those in the room can be super open, curious, searching for buried treasure, all of that can bring um, a really rich experience for everyone present. I'm, I'm hearing Jana Gobi's words from listening to God with Children with what you're saying, with how she said that every catechist needs to do an examination of conscience before entering the atrium <laughs> and check those those capital mm. sins of pride and anger, mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. pride of thinking any of this belongs to us and anger with the child not doing what we think they need to be doing. Like we just naturally as human beings have 
uh, preconceived notions about or preconceived interpretations maybe mm-hmm. about what happens based off of our own experience and our own wounds and such. Right. Um, it would be very difficult to not, especially if some if an encounter with someone or an experience triggers emotions, it would be really hard to not judge or have those opinions about what's going on. Yeah. Um, but it seems like this is a, a process of being able to step back from that and really look at it through mm. a different lens. Yeah. So it's it's like the posture of Mary who pondered in her heart. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. As opposed to Mary, like already having a judgment made, Mary took things in and sat with them in deep contemplation uh, without judgment in order for her to escort Jesus. Like, I don't know if I'm being too bold by saying that, but it seems that that posture is so critical um, to the unfolding story of the gospel. Mm. The other part, the other way I think I want to connect this to our work as catechist um, is this notion of wonder and um, wonder and awe and the parable method. Like, we can't go at a parable knowing what it will reveal. Mm. We have to be open to wonder. And um, Sophia says, rather than wonder leading us away from reality, wonder can arise only from an attentive observation of reality. Mm. So looking at these encounters with a stance of wonder... Yeah, it's it's actually, it's like um, a method for life. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's kind of revolutionary and could change humanity. <laughs> hey, right, revolutionary and revelatory. Like, yeah. you know, it brings us closer to um, that reality that Sophia is speaking of, which is that God is present and active in everything. Mm-hmm. And working to love us in every second of every moment of every encounter. Yeah. He's not just there on Sundays. He's in the every moment. Mm. I like that. <laughs> Socrates says the unexamined life is not worth living. And I'm going to say the unexamined ministry is not worth doing. Ooh. So, like, if we aren't able to ponder and and be open and non-judgmental, then it's it's going to make our work harder in terms of helping the child come into um, union with God. It also seems kind of without it, maybe we're inserting ourselves too much. So mm-hmm. we are. This allows us to kind of take maybe that. That examination of conscience again, like it allows us to take that step back and let um, see things through God's lens so that we aren't doing what he's not wanting us to do or reacting the way he's not wanting us to react or interpreting a situation Mm -hmm. in a different way than he does. Right. So being more objective and just sitting back and, and paying attention in a way that offers a spaciousness. So what kind of things can help us do this type of reflection? So get in touch with our emotions. 
Um, what are the feel feelings that are associated with the event? Paying attention to any images that come forward. I like to speak about images as a spiritual director because images often emerge in conversations all the time. And they speak to our unconscious brain. Mm -hmm. like they bring forward things that we may not be able to you know, get our head around or to speak. Yeah. I, I imagine that is like the artwork in the atrium, you know, like we talk about mm. the children not being able to put words to what mm. they're experiencing mm. in us saying how some, an image that's associated with something that happened is to me the same thing. And I, myself, that helps me a lot too. When I'm in my spiritual direction and recalling an image about what's going on, I feel like that explains what's going on inside me so much better. Mm, right. And a lot of times spiritual experiences or any experience um, we can say is a spiritual experience. A lot of times we can't put words around it. And Which the makes closest, sense. Yeah. The closest we can get is kind of to um, fly around the tower, like <laughs> trying to come <laughs> up with the words that kind of get close to right. what we're trying to say. Right. The mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I like the image part. Okay. So what else? So that's that's going to be a part of what we're going to do today. And there's going to be a moment in our process that allows for images to come forward. Are there other pieces of things that, that help us that you want to lift up? Um, let me see. So entering without being judgmental, um, answering the question who, what, when, where, how. Like the narration is, that's important um, for those listening to the story to ask really good clarifying questions. Um, looking at the event fresh, like with great curiosity, uh, suspending any why questions, because why questions aren't really helpful in this process. And they're not objective either. Right. Exploring the images like we spoke about. And then being really gentle with ourselves because it, I guess any danger when someone is vulnerable and brings up an experience is that we won't tread gently um, mm. with that individual because, um, you know, anytime someone offers something that personal, it's super important for us to be um, very conscious of how we speak because words matter. Yeah. Yeah. I like the part where you were saying about the narration and it just answering those questions of who, what, when, where, and how. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I guess I think we've just been kind of culturally conditioned that whenever someone is telling a story that has emotions behind it, we respond not with those questions. We respond with judging questions or judging mm -hmm. responses mm -hmm. because we think that's what the listener, I mean, the speaker needs or wants to hear we've just kind of been conditioned to those kind of responses and they're not really helpful right I, I actually i did this training a long time ago and the lady was saying how she has learned this process of talking and to be able to help people like what you're talking about with the who what when where and how mm -hmm. like kind of helping them process what their emotions and what they're going through right and she uh, now she now has to tell her friends okay do you want me to be the helper or do you want me to be the friend like how are you <laughs> wanting me to respond are you wanting me right. to respond with ways that can help you 
get through this or respond with ways that are just like, oh, that sucks. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) So I just thought of an image for theological reflection. It's like um, zooming in, like we zoom into the experience, like you would do with a magnifying glass or a microscope. Uh And then we zoom out and we look at the experience and allow the experience to dialogue with our faith tradition, our culture, and our personal experiences. Mm. Our history, really. Okay, so teach us how to do this. Okay, we're going to do our best here. Carrie has come up with a uh, example that I think is probably a pretty universal. Yeah, I I try um, to think of a simple enough one for this this conversation, to where it wouldn't okay. get too enough right. to where people could relate to it. So everyone knows there's there's kind of in theological circles there's two types of the, theological reflection that are done in ministerial settings for students. One is Killian DeBeer, the the two people that I, I quoted at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Our, From the Art uh, of Theological Reflection book. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. That's called the Killian DeBeer method. And then there's the Whitehead method. So both are accepted in mini, uh, ministry education and are done frequently. The method we're going to use today is Killian DeBeer. Okay. Okay. All right. So Carrie, um, if you don't mind, the first thing we're going to do is have you described in sort of a detached manner without any interpretation an experience that happened to you in the atrium. So last year I was a catechist in the level one atrium and it was probably about 15, 20 minutes or so before the end of our time together and the children were all normalized. They might not have all been normalized, but they were all very into their work. And it was calm and quiet. One of those beautiful moments in the atrium. It was in the spring. So we definitely had gotten there. And a mom opened the door and in her normal everyday voice, so not atrium voice, asked for her child because they had um, baseball or softball, whatever it was, practice. And they needed to go and chit chat, tried to chit chat with me a little bit. And it was very, it became very awkward and uncomfortable very quickly because of the atmosphere that was in the atrium completely got disrupted and disrespected unintentionally. And so the child left and yeah. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you some curiosity questions, or sorry, not curiosity, clarifying questions. Um, so what were the, what was the group doing at the time? The children? Mm-hmm. They all were doing their individual work. Okay. And where were you in the room? Um, towards the door, about five or six, seven feet away from the door. Okay. And... What were the, some of the reactions of the children when this happened? Some of them didn't notice. And some of them immediately shot their heads like things had changed in the space. Mm-hmm. And so they mm-hmm. turned and it kind of broke the concentration yeah. that was happening beforehand for them. Right. And what happened for you internally? 
I think in that moment, I first was a little shocked and didn't know how to respond. And all, I think I also felt disrespected myself as well as the space was disrespected. Okay. Okay, thanks. Okay, so now um, what are the emotions? Like just take a second and kind of go into your body kind of quietly. Like see what emotions are emerging and they could be conflicting. Uh, the main one that I keep thinking is shock. Does that count? <laughs> um, I need to go deeper as, than that. <laughs> yeah, let's go to, um, you know, more feeling words. Okay. Like, do you need me to give you some examples? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I need a feeling frust- chart. <laughs> frustrated, anger. Mm. You could feel confused. Um, you could feel... Um, I think I was borderline feeling ang- angry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we don't judge that. Anything else? Um, I think, you know, the mom was very friendly and talking. So I think also that triggers, you know, acceptance and happiness whenever that, okay. whenever you experience that as well. So. All right. Anything else you can think of? No. Okay. All right. So that's great work. Like we just have to try to grab onto the feelings as much as possible. So now what we're going to do is for you to just, again, take a quiet moment, think through the situation and see if, and both of us are going to do this part, like see if any images emerge when we think about this experience. I feel like there's an image of a small explosion. Okay. Um, I got this image of like a bubble being popped. Mm. I also got the um, image of a bowl in a china cabinet. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else from you? No, I don't think so. Um, what about Carrie? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure you've heard this with your children. Like everyone's silent and then someone goes and bangs on a musical instrument or a piano like really loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the that, shock factor of that. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have a small explosion, a bubble popped, a bull in a china cabinet, and... Um, you know, musical instrument just suddenly um, piercing silence in a real jarring way. Like, you know how people like pound on the piano? Yes, I'm very familiar with that. (laughs) Okay, so of all these images, which one seems to capture for you what the experience was most like? I think the bull in the china cabinet. Okay. So now take that image into your mind's eye. So what's life like inside that image? And try to stay in the image. Don't go to the story. Stay in the image. So what's it like to be a bull in a china cabinet? Or to be the china cabinet and a bull comes in. Yeah, being in the china cabinet with the bull in there. (laughs) Okay. All right. I'm not the bull myself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Not this time. (laughs) 
Yeah. So what's that like? Um, very distraught, like very like unnerving. Unnerving. Yeah. Okay. Like um, your your peace and your sense of order all just kind of thrown up in the air. Hmm. I'm kind of sensing for me a little bit of uh, desire to protect the China. Hmm. Like I want to take it and move it to the corner and let the bowl have its space. Mm. Okay. Anything life uh, giving about this image? What's life giving about being the person in the China and the bowl comes in? Uh, maybe the welcoming of the bowl. Like the bull is allowed here, like you know, like oh, the okay. yeah, the bull has um, found this place of peace. Oh, okay, cool. Even though it destroyed it. <laughs> yeah. Anything else? Life giving. Mm, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking. I have the china cabinet to protect. Like I have this thing that I get to be a part of mm. and I get to um, have a part in what the China cabinet is like. So like an air of gratitude. Yeah. Mm. Like this is beautiful. Like look at all this beauty around me. Okay. If something else comes up, we can, we can go back. Um, but what's life draining about being a bull? Remember to stay in the image. The bull coming into your china cabinet. What's life draining? Yeah, like, what's hard about this? The challenge. I'm all the plates breaking. Mm. Okay. Anything else? Uh, the work that will have to happen after the bull is done. Mm. And the potential of the bull breaking the whole cabinet altogether. Mm. Okay. I'm kind of sensing like, um, I don't know, this protection thing's coming up for me again. Like how hard it is to protect mm. and to ma maintain a, an atmosphere of cherishing and um, an atmosphere of wonder and awe. Anything else before we move on to the next step? No. Okay, the next step is about formulating a heart of the matter question. Like, what's the question you're wrestling from a ministerial standpoint with here? And you may have some, and I may have some. We can each chime in. Well, you go first to give me an example. Okay, so the question that comes for me from a ministerial perspective is... Um, what is my role in protecting uh, the, the environment? How about, um, how can I both protect the environment and minister to the needs of the adult that came in the room? Mm. Protect environment and minister to the adult. Nice question. Now, there's something for me around parent education. I'm kind of struggling to put words around it. Um, 
what is my responsibility to educate parents about the environment? Mm. I'm thinking, I don't know how to articulate it, but something about modeling a response to any type of situation like this, both for the parent and for the children. Like, how can I prepare myself for any type of encounter like this? So like your inner self, like how you respond inwardly or how you respond outwardly or both? I think I'm originally thinking outwardly, but I guess both is what's really needed. Okay. Well, another one for me is like, how can I be non-judgmental in this moment? Mm, yeah, that's a good one. Especially in a manner that the parent doesn't see. <laughs> you know, if I can't control my judgment, how can I still make them feel welcome? Mm. So that's outward. So, yeah, so it's kind of that twofold process. If you can't do the inward, you can do the outward. <laughs> At least for now, right? Until we can get the inward right. under control. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, this experience has happened multiple times to me, and I, I'm sure many of the people listening. So uh, you, we wrote six questions. That's quite a bit. So now I'm going to read them to you, and I want you to pick one. Uh, what is my role uh, in protecting the environment? How can I protect... Um, and minister to the adult. What is my responsibility to educate parents about the environment? And then um, how can I prepare myself inward and outwardly for these disruptions? And how can I be non-judgmental in this moment? So which question seems to capture you or capture this experience, what you may be struggling with? I'd like to pick two, but you're making me pick one. So I think... Well, can we fold them together? I think the second one encompasses a few of the questions. So how do I protect this space while also ministering to the adult? So that could also... That could encompass the oh, parent education okay. or okay. Um, yeah. making sure they feel hospi- uh, okay. welcome. Yeah. How do I protect this space and minister at the same time? To the adult. To the adult, right? yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So that seems to capture the heart of the matter for you. So now what we're going to do is begin to explore what from our tradition, what from our culture, and what from our own personal experiences is coming to bear on this situation. So let's, we can start anywhere. Like what comes to mind as you think about scripture, liturgy, church history, lives of the saints? I guess the first thing that pops in my head is all the times that Jesus was trying to just be with his 12 or go off to pray or um, whatnot, and he was interrupted by the needs of others. Mm -hmm. Okay. Beautiful. There's something for me about, since you went straight to scripture, um, his prayer in the garden, it's like... um, those around him couldn't pay attention while he does his thing. And it feels like um, maybe, I don't know, that is the, was the mom paying attention to the sacredness of what was taking place? I'm thinking about liturgy too. 
and how hard it is to protect the sacredness around it because there's disruptions because people are messy, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we work and do the work of the people as much as we can to protect the liturgical experience. And then people are messy, things happen. How about the saints? I wonder if they had experiences of trying to hold a sacred space and it being disrupted. I'm kind of laughing inside because I'm thinking of Julian Norwich in her little space. <laughs> like, of who? She made Julian of Norwich. Oh, I don't know about she made, her. She made her own little, um, I don't know what they called it, but a, a little... Um, space outside that she was walled in and she could see uh, the mass and she could see people but she kept herself in this walled in space to like protect herself from yes. being distracted i, I think so or being a distraction yeah well cloister any kind of cloister doesn't have that kind of flavor mm -hmm. what else we have tons of church documents about liturgy. I don't have any on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> you can't just whip those out and recite them. Right. I'm so disappointed. Oh, no. no. well, <laughs> you figured out I'm, I don't know at all. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of three different lives of the saints. I mean, so many of them, they had plans for their lives that were disrupted by either God or by mm -hmm. something going on in the world around them. Mm -hmm. It made it stay hard to be focused, right? Or their course got changed that still brought them to salvation. Mm. Yeah, say more about that. It was just God's hand in... And all the disruption, I mean, I, I can totally embody that as a mother. Mm -hmm. um, or the plan, or the way that I think something should go is not how it goes. And the initial frustration that comes with that. But... Mm -hmm. um, uh, I see what you mean. Okay, like, they have this, think they have this vision and this plan for how things are going to go. And then, you know, there's this curveball. Right, so like, in. I'm thinking of like St. Rose of Lima, Peru, and how she thought she was going to go be a sister. And mm. God intervened on her way to go being a sister. Right. But she still was a saint. She still lived her life mm. Mm. Um, in alignment right. with God. And so, you know, those disruptions, sometimes God can still use them. Right. Well, and Mother Teresa, like, right. she was a teacher. And suddenly her life was changed radically right. into serving the poor. Yeah. Okay. I think we've covered that. Um, I'm sure if we were church historians, we could come up with some um, <laughs> mystery. <laughs> we're being good well, examples of what this would really look like. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, isn't, you know, building these beautiful churches part of trying to say this is sacred space even? Mm -hmm. Like we have beautiful spaces all through, well, all throughout history um, that 
that were an attempt to kind of show the world this space is protected. Okay, how about from culture? What in our culture speaks to this example and this question? I guess my first thought on that is the culture is more on the accepting side of it, of the... Um, the disruption. The disruption side of it, of the, yeah. or the maybe the reason for the disruption side of it, the value of sports mm-hmm. and the value, oh, right. and the value mm-hmm. of that over religious education in so many right. instances. I think that's my, where my mind first goes. Right. And I'm thinking of schools even, like there's, a, you know, with cell phones and all the other distractions, many schools are trying to protect the space for learning. Mm. Um, and there's many things in our, our world now that, that kind of come into schools that used to not be there. Mm-hmm. Also, just the, our culture's acceptance of disruption. And I, I guess right now I'm thinking about... Um, Ruth Earhart, who we had on the podcast a few episodes back, she talked about, I don't know if she did in the episode, but she did in the Basic Needs of Babies course about how um, when you interrupt somebody, it the brain registers it at the same way as a slap in the face, <laughs> mm. which is pretty extreme, right? That's so our culture, yeah. though, is very accepting of disruption. Mm-hmm. We talk over each other. We don't um, pay attention to our surroundings before we come in like a bull in a china cabinet so um this encounter is very culturally normal Mm. what about the mother we're not really addressing the mother like ministering to her Mm. is there anything we can go back if we need to to um tradition or we can just stay here with culture but you know, how do you work with someone maybe who doesn't know what's happening and responds in a um, more disruptive way? Through the lens of culture? Yeah, culture or tradition, either one. Uh, culture, it's teaching. So you are someone who doesn't, isn't responding the way that mm. we deem them Mm-hmm. having should responded so they should be educated right okay so let's think about from your past experience and my past experiences like what could give information here what could we pull on that would help us know how to be in this moment for the children and for this adult There was a moment in my life when I made a decision to choose not to be offended. Mm. And I've tried to carry that forward. But I think before that moment, I had been super judgy and super frustrated with people. Um, And at some point, you know, when you mature, you realize, okay, we're all just kind of trying to do the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge growth thing. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. 
I, I think the first thought I had was uh, my natural instinct throughout my life is to be accommodating. Mm. So the mother comes in and um, my my natural instinct is to be accommodating from my personal experience. Mm. Okay. Um, no matter what I, I feel. Think, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's always hard. It's it's sometimes confusing about what to do. I had a, a priest walk in in the middle of a lesson one time, and I was very confused about how to. Did I fold him in? Did I like what? What would I do? And he kind of sat on the edges and wanted to just watch. Um, but my first reaction was, mm-hmm. I need to like invite him in, like pull him into the lesson. And his desire was to just watch. And so I finally figured out that's what was maybe a more helpful posture for everybody. Mm. Okay, so now our final step, Carrie, is to list any new insider truths that have come forward for you with this example. I feel like there's been a bunch. (laughs) I, I, I think the first one that comes to my mind, though, is looking at the situation as an opportunity of whatever, you know, following what God is asking in that moment. So the mom comes in and allowing God to move in that moment, even though it's different than what I expected and what I deem as what should be happening. Maybe it's an opportunity to minister to the mom, love on her, or model the children needing to see that type of response. I'm not sure. Mm. Who knows? But riding the wave more a little bit for the movements of God rather than judging the situation. Mm. I think that's my initial insight, but I think there's many. Okay. It's really a beautiful, kind of powerful one. And it kind of speaks to me because, um, you know, in my training as a spiritual director, one of the things I learned was that um, maturity in the spiritual life is becoming is about is about becoming less reactive, so that the waves become more like a gentle roll. Mm. Like we're going to react, um, but we have to really practice inwardly a disposition of acceptance and love. I feel like that's great advice for a catechist. And I know we've spoken many times about how what we do as catechists is so similar to spiritual direction. But that's good advice as a catechist to learn how to not react and ride the waves that are happening in the atrium. Yeah. That's really good. And that's a that's a hard thing for a new catechist too. Yeah. It well, like like you said, it takes time to to condition yourself to that. Right. And like Mary, you know, Mary had years to ponder and wonder about Jesus. And I think that's our work, too. We have years to ponder and wonder about our work as a catechist and to um, become less reactive to things like that we were so anxious about in our very first years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember all the anxieties, all the things I worried about that really didn't matter. Mm-hmm. 
and my absorption with myself for one. Yeah. <laughs> like, am I doing this right? Yeah, it was my ever-present question. And letting that go really can be transformative and help you mature spiritually as an individual and as a catechist. Yeah. Yeah, I have felt that in me too. I feel like the more years that I am in this work, the more open my fist is, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. It's just yeah. you see that the less control you have, mm -hmm. um, the more that the Holy Spirit can work and some really beautiful things can happen. Yeah, gives the children more space. Yeah. Well, Carrie, this was fun. Thank you for this. This was a lot deeper than that. I thought, Autumn. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you Matt, you did it with just the two of us. Imagine in a group, like when everyone's so focused and centered on mm. the question, the heart of the matter question, or the image. I mean, it can really bring forth some incredible things. That's really neat. That's really neat. And I will find there's an article. That was in the journal a few years back about a group of catechists that did this, correct? Oh, yeah. There's a group in the Pacific Northwest that does this regularly. I will find the article and, and reference it in our show notes so that people can go read that because that's really neat to, way to, to use this, an example of how to use this in our work. Mm, yeah. And if anyone has questions about the process, I'm happy to help. Well, thanks, Autumn. I appreciate You're you so teaching welcome. us about this, but also, you know sitting and reflecting with me. That was really beautiful. Well, it's always fun. It's always you fun. You do that naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. In our show notes, you will find some links to episodes that Autumn has been on the podcast with us. I also put there the article that we referred to that talks about theological reflection. It's from the 2019 journal. It's called Growing Collaboration Through Theological Reflection. So if you already have that journal, if you were a member back in 2019, you should have received that journal. So pull that out and read that article. If you don't have the journal, I have a link in the show notes so that you can purchase it. I think it's about $9. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. If you would like to know more about the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you would like to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.